Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I'm here with Chad of Brownies and Lemonade. Hey, what's up, <laughs> And a bunch of other things. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you were born in California, or...? Yeah, I actually, no, I was born in Phoenix, but um, my parents, back in, in that day and age, they had uh, two houses. I happened to come early, uh, you know, unexpectedly early while they were in Phoenix, so I was born there, mm-hmm. but I've lived in L.A. my entire life, so. What um, brought them out here? Well, my parents, like, uh, my mom is of Japanese descent, she's from the Bay Area, and my dad is uh, from Boston, he was an actor, and... Oh, wow. So they were both artists, and they moved out to L.A. Yeah, wasn't it, well, then you had, like, a creative upbringing then. Yeah, I mean, they were pretty supportive of, like, whatever I did, whether it be sports that I sucked at, or, uh, (laughs) I mean, I, yeah, I pretty much, like, had a creative, you know, family that was very supportive from the get-go, so that was... That was like one of the, I guess, advantages of growing up in that environment. Um, my dad was a pretty famous actor. Oh, uh, really? So, yeah, that was... People are going to Google him. Oh, God. Sorry. Just got to throw that away. You got to recycle. That's like a very important <laughs> thing. I was holding that can in my pocket. So <laughs> um, yeah, well, my dad was on Star Trek. That was his claim to fame. What's uh, his first name? Sean Kenny, S-E-A-N. You guys going to find yeah, out in the comments. The crippled Captain Pike in the original <laughs> series. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it, it was cool coming from, like, a background of artists. Um, my parents kind of just understood, like, what it takes to kind of make it in the entertainment industry out here. So I don't think that was ever something I was really phased by. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, like, when you just grow up around a lot of people who, a lot of friends of mine, you know, their parents were successful and had various jobs in, in, the, in the film industry and music industry, you just kind of our condition to understand it a little bit more so I've mm-hmm. always been kind of fortunate about that you know what kind of music were they playing in the house when you were growing up um well my dad is like really into music that that's like his probably his biggest thing that he likes to do to this day and uh he would always have like tapes and you know he would I like they bought me a Walkman when I was four so we listened like to like the Beatles is like a very important part but also like my dad really likes like 70s California rock, like the Eagles and uh, Jackson Brown, um, and then obviously like Stevie Wonder and a lot of like soul Motown stuff. So I had a pretty diverse musical upbringing. My mom, she likes you know Andrew Lloyd Webber and like the Phantom of the Opera and like Cliff Richard and John Tesh. She's she just likes whatever. They like Bruno Mars. That's one oh. one thing they can both get behind. So. Oh, they must be happy at the Grammy then. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're all about him. <laughs> How did you find music initially, like way back? Yeah, I mean, uh, I always feel like music is tied to your identity. So like when I was in high school, um, I, th- I mean, middle school, I was just really just like kind of a fan of music, like hip hop. And we used to, on the lunch tables, we used to like bang out like different Neptunes beats, you know, the grinding beat. Mm-hmm. And uh, just always been interested in music. Um, when I was in high school, though, I definitely got more into like indie rock and underground rap and kind of did a little bit more homework on the the history of of music um and then like i just i started getting into like djing i guess uh i I saw this like uh episode of this vh1 show called the fabulous life it's really fucking lame like (laughs) it's just it's basically lifestyles of the rich are famous for like the mid 2000s (laughs) and they were talking about dj am and they're like 
DJ AM gets paid $20,000 to spin Lindsay Lohan's 21st birthday. And I was like, how does a guy get paid 20K to DJ for a few hours? Because, like, at that, at that point in time, it was, like, 2006. Mm-hmm. And I, I really only knew about, like, bar mitzvah DJs, you know? <laughs> or, like, the, the, the guys that came to prom and just, like, slammed down their CD machine. And you would go, like, put in requests. Um, those are the only DJs I really knew about. So, like, I raves were kind of lame mm-hmm. back, back in high school. The kids that went to raves are kind of like, they would wear glow sticks to school and stuff and like candy. And they're kind of <laughs> into computers. And, you know, it's always just yeah. kind of like, and people in high school are so judgmental. So I was like, oh, I can't be into like that. They listen to Bass Hunter and Armin Van Buren, and that's lame. <laughs> so I never really got into that stuff. Yeah. But when I saw DJ Am do his thing, I downloaded the Lindsay Lohan uh, mix that he made. And it was just like this amazing creativity that he had. He could like craft kind of like a, Almost like a song out of like five songs, but he was like doing it all live. So um, that was one of my earliest influences. And uh, my friend Brian got me really into DJing on like vinyl. And we started playing these shows. <laughs> we were just like way out of our league, but we were doing them anyway. And so it, during high school? Yeah, that's like when I first started. I remember, yeah, I remember a lot of like weird gigs at, at that point in time. I didn't really actually first start getting paid to DJ until I was in college, but you know, like high school yeah. kids, rich high school kids that I was around, like, they have a party in their dad's backyard, and mm-hmm. someone had, like, a setup, and, you know, we're all terrible, the transitions are awful, but everyone thought those kids were, like, rock stars, because it was, like, this new thing that was happening that you would be a DJ, like, it was so random, you know, like, yeah, yeah. so it wasn't, it was way before this thing had become kind of mainstream, um, so it's just interesting, like, to think about how in its infancy it was in America, you know, because... When I bought my DJ setup, it was like three thousand to four thousand dollars. Like that's a huge investment to make. You had to buy two turntables, a mixer, a laptop, and a Serato box, and that's just like a base level thing. You also have to get like a coffin. You have to get the needles. You have to get the control vinyl. So I spent like four thousand dollars of my graduation money, and like people chipped in, and I got all my DJ equipment. But it's like if you don't ever use that towards anything, and you're just in your bedroom, you know, that's quite a lot of money to just throw into a hobby. So. And then how did you, so you went to UCLA, and then how did you start getting, like, actual gigs initially? Well, yeah, I mean, like, that was a turning point. It was, like, the summer before I went to UCLA in 2007. I, I saw Daft Punk, and I saw Justice a lot, and a lot of, like, the new wave mm-hmm. uh, electronic scene, which, like, Steve Aoki and Dim Mock and A-Track and Fool's Gold and the Ed Banger crew were, like, bringing to L.A. So that was, like, a huge uh, explosion of... DJ culture in Los Angeles. Oh, damn, Quarters? Yeah. Okay, this place is popping. It has, like, uh, Bakjong. That place is the best. I've heard of these places, but never. I've been to Quarters. Quarters is, Quarters is, like, you know, it's the one that people will know about. White people know that one. (laughs) That, that place, Bakjong, though, is pretty tight. Uh, really good spicy pork, so. (laughs) I don't know if that was (laughs) part of the review. We just threw that in there. Uh, (laughs) I don't work for them, I promise. I can't even pronounce the name. But yeah, so, uh, well, I mean, when I was, I had like tractor on my laptop. So Mm -hmm. when I was in class, like I was like a theater major. So like in between classes, I'd be like, I think this sounds like the, the, uh, the plot to the movie Pitch Perfect. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't she like a, yeah, she's like a a singer who like, anyway, it's very much like my call. I'm not making this up. This actually happened. (laughs) Uh, so I was just like playing, uh, I was like mixing live in between classes, like a total douchebag. And, uh, 
people were like, yo, this is sick, dude. You should come play at my frat. And I was like, all right. So then I booked like my first DJ gig at a frat, like within a few weeks of being in school. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was able to kind of, I was one of the only people on, de- on campus who had my own like equipment and uh, all my own stuff. So I can go into these frats, go into these like private uh, parties and stuff and just get cash and spin for like five hours. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like taught me how to be a really good DJ is because you have to read a crowd. You have to keep it going for five hours. There's like ebbs and flows. So that was kind of like the, like the trenches of DJing. Yeah. And you're really influenced by Avalon, right? Yes. Yeah. So Avalon used to be like the, I mean, still is to this day by people who are in the know from that era, but you know, widely considered like the Mecca of electronic music Mm -hmm. in in LA for a while. Um, You know, they've been doing it for well over 10 years and I still pack out the show like every Friday, which is like super impressive for longevity's sake um but yeah dude like they used to have a side lounge there called uh the honey lounge there's a lot of different names they had for it it's now the pioneer lounge they totally remodeled the uh the area but if you could get a dj gig there that was like your rite of passage yeah and then if you can move up and then eventually make it to main stage it was like oh you made it like (laughs) you're famous now uh so yeah that was that was like a very important part of my upbringing for sure uh, being able to go there because it was like 19 and up so it wasn't like you know a traditional nightclub which I, I felt like in LA there's a lot of politics um, and I did my fair share of promoting like at, at these clubs because it's just part of the part of the deal you have to work your way up the ladder but yeah but one thing about Avalon I will say is that we did do a Brian's Lemonade show there in 2015 mm-hmm. and I finally got to DJ on the main stage and honestly like that was like it was like this moment like where I was like wow single tier you know okay but and then when it was over I was like okay it's over but like you know it's I think there's a lot of like um tiers and sort of like uh milestones that you can accomplish in Los Angeles and you know that was one of one of the ones recently that was pretty big Mm -hmm. for me (laughs) and then what after what happened after you graduated like what got you your foot in the door initially and to Um, do more stuff yeah, I mean, when I graduated college, it was kind of pretty open-ended, like, what I was going to do, because I, I had a theater degree, and I, like, I just enjoyed music, so I think that was, I think it's hard for anyone who, like, took DJ really seriously and uh, promoted parties and stuff when they're in college, like, to make that transition afterwards when they're trying to turn it into a career. So, I guess my advice that I tell everyone who's watching this is that you kind of have to do everything. Like, you have to try a lot of different things in music. Because I think that, like, when you start out, like, I initially was just like, oh, I'm just going to be a famous DJ. That's all I want to do. It's going to produce bangers and tour and all that stuff. But I started to realize that I just wasn't, I don't think producing was my strong suit. I realized I was kind of better at management and, like, putting together a party. Mm. So, but I I did, like, five different things and I kind of came to that conclusion. So, Yeah. yeah, like, when I got out of college, I just started, like, a record label called Shifty Rhythms which I still work with, and uh, I was, we were working on this music festival called Brochella, which was a DIY music festival that I was involved with for six, seven years, and, uh, and then Brownies and Lemonade, and I met those guys at a party like a few months after I graduated, and uh, they had just started it around that time as well. What year so, was this? This was uh, December 2011, um, but it was cool. Like We met through mutual friends, and we were all like events promoters and producers, so... We're just all on the same page, and those guys were just instantly become like some of my closest friends. So, 
How long was Fronties Lemonade until you joined? Like, how long have they been around before you joined? Um, so they started actually a long time ago unofficially. Uh, Jose and and uh, Kush, who founded Brownies Lemonade, they actually went to UCLA as well. But they graduated uh, the year before I, I enrolled. So it was kind of like I... <laughs> What they were doing is like four years before I, I started was what? like exactly the same thing. Like they were throwing house parties and oh, like oh. Yeah. I was like Brian's eliminated. Well. No, no. But they <laughs> but they that they started the party uh, when they were in college. Just started throwing house parties and like Brownies Eliminated was kind of always like this uh, this name that they kind of had for like the diversity of like their group and like the people that like come to the shows and it's just always like a mishmash of of things because we all like you know, hip-hop, but we also like dance music, but we also like, you know, it's like very diverse. Um, so that name kind of just stuck on, and, and Brownies Lemonade has gone through like a, a variety of like changes, but really they started doing like official parties like more in like 2011, 12 into, into now, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it's hard to like pinpoint when it exactly it started, yeah. but I think more recently... I always feel like everything from like 2013 on is probably where you can officially say that. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. So how big were they? Like, what kind of names were they booking when you were joining? Uh, well, Brian's Lemonade started with a lot of hip hop focused acts and a lot of like local DJs, um, and it was really cool because we all like mutually had a lot of like DJ friends who like from college or from childhood who were like pretty successful. So we do parties with like Gladiator, Vendata, um, some of the earlier acts that 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 they booked um, a long time ago, like Capital Cities, Ryan Hemsworth. So it was, it was always like a cool uh, variety. You would have that kind of stuff. But then you have like live hip hop. And so that was kind of like how we operated for a while. But then we started to transition more into like the SoundCloud world and like the more DJ club friendly kind of stuff because it was just easier for us with our resources to kind of book out that kind of stuff. and and put together a cool lineup that like no one was really doing so um that's when we started flying people out and stuff yeah to come to the lash which is where we first started mm -hmm. doing those kinds of shows this uh, party called double cross if any of you guys know, <laughs> guys know about that one <laughs> um one of our original events i mean there's a lot of diversity to like mm -hmm. the events that we've done so it's it's interesting to think about it like in a linear chronology because i just think about it all as just like the different kind of sides of like our personalities you know yeah we have like a daytime hip-hop party called camp trill mm -hmm. we've been doing that for a very long time and i mean i think that's like our best event it's like our bread and butter <laughs> and uh we i we really like daytime parties that's like our favorite thing like daytime parties music everyone knows but we all also understand that like a lot of our audience really likes nighttime clubs and you know like high energy music and so we try to like kind of ha like cater to all sides of like our fan base and and our like our own taste too. I mean, I like going out at night too. So mm -hmm. when when it was like when you first joined on, what was the scene like and was it competitive for you and to find your own oh, like, yeah. uniqueness? Yeah, I mean, man, I think the scene is always competitive. Um, it doesn't matter really about how many people do it, uh, how many people you're competing against. It's really the the wealth of ideas that are being exchanged. Um, so I would actually say that people back then were kind of a little bit more creative than some of the other people now because now I think a lot of people look at formulas or like proven success models to like mm -hmm. how they start their brand or how they start their music career, their venture. And I, rem I just remember like four or five years ago, people were taking a lot more risks 
and that was pretty cool because um, there were some great ideas and you know like some people that don't throw events anymore but you know mad respect for like so many people but yeah I mean the scene was competitive for sure I mean like we for instance like booking artists has always been difficult especially if they're with an agency so you know we were just trying to figure out how do we get how do we get people at these parties to get excited about the people who are going to perform and one of the things that we were able to kind of do around 2013-14 is we started to kind of book a lot of people from SoundCloud that hadn't performed in LA yet and that were like kind of unproven up-and-coming acts from their various you know places around the world so you know some of the earlier acts we booked were like uh, Moving Castle. Moving Castle, which was <laughs> the probably the biggest one for us. It was a watershed moment. Um, but then, like, yeah, Jai Wolf and Annie Cali and Louis Child and Sean Wasabi. And, you know, it's just really cool to just take a step back, like, three years later and just realize that there was, like, this melting pot of talent that we had kind of put together. And all of those people are, like, very successful now in their, like, own individual paths, you know? So. How are you able to figure out branding? Like, initially even from like your twitter personality like brownie's twitter to <laughs> i guess merch stuff well but for social media <laughs> yeah well i think i think that a lot of it kind of happened you know as we continue to kind of figure out like what it is we were doing uh you know we used to throw parties in like warehouses and galleries and so i think for the most part um our team has been always really good about making sure that the voice speaks to like our fan base kind of like on their level or like we're, we're kind of all involved in it you know and I think we never really wanted to be like a super <laughs> corporate you know news professional Twitter or whatever and, and you know the thing is is that like I always try to tell people like it's really hard to take grasp like what we do even if you look at the social media even if you look at the videos it really you have to be there in person you know and trying to encapsulate that is always going to be really hard like Looking at the Instagram, it looks crazy, but you know, like most of my friends from like high school and college, like they've never gone to a BNL show. <laughs> like, yeah. They just they're too old. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they have arthritis. They might get hurt. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but, um, but no, and then that's the thing is that like they look at they look at what you're doing and they think, wow, it looks crazy. You guys are killing it. And I'm just always like, man, you should just come through. Like, yeah. you might not like it. You might think we suck. <laughs> like, but I think we try to we try to paint that picture through social media because that's the gateway to so many people I think mm -hmm. in this day and age is like making sure that it reflects kind of the essence of what you're doing so I think our team does a pretty good job of that. How did you decide to start merch? Um, well that was that was actually something we've always been doing um, we just never really sold it mm -hmm. <laughs> so we've been like we've always had hats and um, like I have like snapbacks and like like hats from like way back in the day that our team was like creating and they were like super cool Except, you know, when you're repping something that no one knows about, they'll be like, oh, like, whatever. But, um, you know, we've we just always been doing that. And it, it wasn't until, I think, uh, well, Skrillex was one of the first people that started wearing, like, our golf cap. Oh. And that kind of, like, exploded. And uh, then we were like, oh, like, people kind of, like, want this stuff. You know, it just happened pretty organically. I don't think it was, I mean, we definitely always try to, um, we always like are, are cognizant of things that we could do that that are cool, but it, it definitely was never like a business thing that we thought about. It was, we just thought the merch looked cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like we want to wear our stuff. So. so what's your role and what's like Cush's role and like how do you split responsibilities? 
Um, well, we have a team of like of seven core people who I we all have like different personalities and different responsibilities and roles. Um, and Kush uh, is is just really like our our, our main man, and uh, he just really handles like a lot of um, you know the stuff behind the scenes. But we all kind of like chip in and, and have you know input. We have team meetings pretty pretty frequently and just kind of go over a lot of uh, you know what's on the agenda. Yeah. And so. You know, we've been we've been doing that for for quite a while, and and we have a really good flow, which is why I think. I mean, I could say that we're, we've experienced some success is because we all have like very defined lanes. So it's like me, yeah. Kush, Jose, Eli, Dan, uh, Evan, and Ben. So those are like our core team, and yeah. those are all like my best friends. You know, yeah. <laughs> like because uh, when when you work in music, it's like really hard. Uh, people start to drop off in your life. Like people are busy doing their own things. They don't want to come to the club on the weekends and that's when we're working, you know? So it's just been really cool that I get to travel and like work with like people who I actually enjoy mm -hmm. and who are like my good friends, yeah. you know? Cause that, I think that's always like a, a rough part of it is like you start to kind of, like work starts to become the primary focus. Um, even, even though like what we do is kind of like fun and it's yeah. recreation and eventually if you try to turn it into your career, it has to become work, you know? So. Um, but we try to keep it fun. Yeah. <laughs> we so crack jokes a lot, <laughs> like too much. I do A&R in like my day job. So like a lot of like talent scouting, um, a lot of helping curate lineups. And um, at the at the shows I do artist relations. Mm -hmm. So just helping people get sorted, taking care of their hospitality, just making people feel comfortable with like being a part of our show. And I think that one of the things that all of our teammates are really good at doing is making any of the artists, whether they be like 17 year old kid doing his first show ever in LA to someone like Skrillex, you know Everyone is really good at making everyone feel, you know, welcome and invited and comfortable and you know that that's kind of like where I think um, Where we've been able to make an impact is that people want to be part of that experience and just come hang out and and so but that's that's probably like my primary thing is just making sure like everyone's taken care of and and uh I have, I have a lot of great relationships with these artists so mm -hmm. it's just pretty pretty cool yeah. <laughs> i just respect all of them you know how did um alza and skrillex happen in japan um well you know sunny had been living there for a few months and uh he was just you know just lo he loved he just loves and respects the culture which is as someone who's japanese american like i just think that's so awesome because yeah. there's a lot of people who really love japanese culture but i think they kind of like sometimes appropriate it for their own like superficial benefit mm -hmm. and like that's fine like I understand how you know things are like no one really has like culture is so open-ended these days but like Sonny just loves the Japanese culture and everyone there just like they just think he's a god <laughs> you know, yeah. just love him. but he was just he was hanging out there for a while and um, they were doing like an Ausla merch uh, they were doing like an Ausla merch line and they were releasing it in Japan and they want to throw some after parties, um, and so we've we've had a pretty good experience working with Alza on the event side of things. So they invited us out, kind of happened on a whim, <laughs> put it together like you know in a short amount of time, and then we went we went to Japan, and that was like probably the coolest experience of my life. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was great. It was always been like my dream to go to Japan. Um, so to like go in that capacity, it mm -hmm. was like. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> this is not normal. <laughs> I don't think anyone is gonna get this kind of a. We actually we went to this place called um, Nanzeto, and it's like this very, um, very beautiful like holy Buddhist site, 
and it's a temple. And um, there's a Buddhist monk there, and he was show, showing us around. And this guy was just so cool, and he was like telling us, he's like, "Oh, by the way, like I was at the club last night, like I saw the show, but today <laughs> oh I'm god. in my monk's robes, oh my chilling." It was like, so "Wow, cool. okay." So this guy is the coolest dude ever. Yeah. So like they showed us around uh, this temple, and we got a chance to um, ex go into uh, the emperor's like 500 year old throne room, which is like a, it's not really available to the public to see. Yeah. And like, that was just the kind of like cool thing about being with that group of people is that we had that opportunity to, to see that. And I was just in there, I'm like, yo, like how did this happen? <laughs> like, and we were just doing parties in warehouses a few years ago. And now I'm in like the emperor's throne room, like, wow, like this is, this is pretty cool. And like every now and then, like I have those moments where I just like take a step back and just think like, dude, I'm just so fortunate, you know, to be in, in this situation, you know, and I, I definitely never take it for granted. Like it's, it's really cool <laughs> to, yeah. to have that experience, you know, so. How do you decide like which festivals you want to be at and like saying no to certain things now that you have the ability to have people want you to do their stuff? Yeah, I mean, it really just comes down to if it makes sense for us at the time, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we get offers to like go to a city that we've never been in before and you know, sometimes we're just, we're not, we're not entirely sure if like we could bring the proper B&L experience to them and stuff. And it's always like, you know, weighing, weighing those kinds of things to make sure that like every time that we do something that we're able to bring like the best experience possible. Um, so yeah, that's, that's tough is because, you know, when, when we do shows and stuff, everyone sees the, the caliber of the artists that we work with. Mm -hmm. So I think they automatically assume that like at every show, uh, you know, we're going to be able to kind of provide that same experience. So we want to make sure that we can. Yeah. So a lot of times it just comes down to that. It's very objective more so than like our personal feelings. We love to do every show, yeah. <laughs> you know. Do you ever feel like you're pigeonholed into this SoundCloud EDM scene now? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I, I feel like people, like, it's like this weird double-edged sword and this dichotomy where people, like, their music taste within electronic music is so much more vast than it's ever been. Like back in the day, like in 2008, 2009, like you could pretty much say that there was like a set EDM culture and like maybe some subcultures in America. But now it's like there's like five different types of house. <laughs> like within L.A. alone, you have like your techno snobs, you got your tech house people, you got your deep house people. And then so like within electronic music, there's just so much variety. But I think like bass and trap music and SoundCloud, like it, it has a very distinct vibe. So because we've contributed to a lot of those people's um, careers, I think we're, we're obviously going to get associated with them. You'll see that there's a lot more variety than just, you know, SoundCloud oriented stuff. And, and you know, we're trying to book more live acts. Um, and, you know, there's there, there's so many examples of, of artists that we've helped work with that like kind of fell outside of that sphere. And sometimes we try to take risks and book like super, you know, off. Wow. That was like a big, there's a huge palm tree. <laughs> Fraud that just fell down. <laughs> wow. We just try to mix it up a little bit too because we're aware that yeah, yeah we don't want to just like do the same thing over and over again. No one likes that. I don't like that. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I don't want to go and hear the same set over and over again, you know. But I mean I think that this, that that's kind of like EDM as a whole too. I don't think or electronic music or anything within that realm, like you're there's gonna be so much overlap. I don't think anyone can really say that, you know, one particular field is like the purest or the truest you know mm -hmm. so it's yeah. all like it's yeah. subjective that way what is it the goal now is it just to grow like internationally 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the things um, we'd like to do. I'm, you know, I just take, we try to take things like kind of one week at a time <laughs> these days because there is a lot to kind of micromanage and just be aware of. And um, I just, you know, I just want to make sure that like we're always like constantly doing like our best work. But, but yeah, definitely going international is something that requires a lot of work, but it would be really cool. Like I, I got, got a chance to go to Australia with Alice in Wonderland for yeah, like 16 days. Huge. Yeah, and that was really cool. And like living there for almost, you know, more than half a month was like, I really immersed myself in the culture, but also takes a lot out of you. Like there's a lot that's involved in like trying to execute an international tour, or do stuff along those lines. Cause there is a cultural divide. There's a lot of differences. Um, Australia, not as much because we're very like on the same level as them, like as yeah. Americans and Australians. And it was just super easy to get along with everyone. And like, I have family there and it was easy, you know, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, do people <laughs> like out there even really know about BNL? I, I have no idea. I, you know what? Actually, there was this clip of Valentino Khan playing in London the other day. And my friend sent me a snap and there was some kid in the crowd and he was like, he held up his iPhone and on it, he had written B&L for life, like what? in like this club in London. So there's at least one guy there. <laughs> one guy. There's at least one guy. If you're watching this guy, we'll come out there. Please comment. If you don't show up, then it's going to be a sham. <laughs> That's, that is like false. That, he's not for life. <laughs> oh my God. What kind of advice do you have for people who want to get into the event space? Uh, I mean, the common thing is don't. <laughs> I mean, that, everyone always says that, but. I think that you have to have like a very realistic approach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I was able to like continue to do events. Mind you, I had been doing events for like seven or eight years before like we started to kind of make moves. So like there's a lot of bad events. You just have to have really thick skin. You mm -hmm. can't think that any one event is gonna kind of dictate your career, you know, because the thing is, is as soon as you throw a bad event, all right, well that event's over. So it's now time to focus on the next one. Like you can't, let it control, you know, your, your enjoyment or your outlook. And then on the flip side, like if an event is really great and it's awesome, you can't revel in that too long because people are going to, okay, so what's the next thing? Like, how are we going to take advantage of this like really cool momentum we have? And so, I mean, my advice is definitely set realistic expectations, know that it's going to take a while and definitely take risks as the most important thing. Do not follow other people's models to a T Take, you know, take examples of things that you like from, from those things, but definitely create something unique that, you know, and, and, that a lot of people aren't doing because that, that, those are the things that people are going to be looking for. Um, you know, I, I, I get people who contact me and they, they, they've done like a Brownies Lemonade tribute party and, and that's really cool. And I think that the next step from that is kind of just eliminate that idea if you want to keep doing this and just do something completely... Like, with some of the ideas from that party in mind and just do something completely different because I, I, I just think that having ownership over something that you kind of were able to do, do on your own is, is always going to be the most rewarding thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think tribute parties and, and like all these things are important. Like I've been involved with like seven parties before I got to where I was, you know? So you have to yeah. always be kind of open to trying new things and you know, like one of the things I do is Drake party. I've been doing that for like three years, four years now. <laughs> and we just play Drake. And like, <laughs> we've just been doing that forever. Like it started kind of on a whim. We were just like, 
they, they didn't have like uh, uh, like music at this party one time, and someone's like, "Yo, I got a flash drive, but all I have is only Drake." I'm like, all right, just play it, and then it just like went off. People were going crazy and like, "Oh, should we just throw like a Drake party?" And then ever since then, like we've we've done parties and like fourteen hundred people show up <laughs> just to dance to Drake all night. But you know, like that was just something that just happened yeah. organically, and it was just kind of fresh. And and I that's what I, I guess I'm getting at is just like make sure. You just kind of just like take risks. It comes organically. You just have fun. It'll it'll make it way more enjoyable down the road. You know. Yeah. What would you say have been the biggest challenges so far? Um, I think the biggest challenge for me personally, like recently, because you know, obviously the biggest challenges in the last couple of years were like living in my parents' house and mm -hmm. not having money and like trying to figure out what I was do doing with my life, which I think anyone in their twenties is going to go through. Um, but more recently now that like there's a little bit more work, um, I'm on my own <laughs> and stuff. Like one of the things that I think is a challenge is balancing like the touring with like a day job and like working at home or like, you know, balancing your time, time management. And, and really what it comes down to is having that time for yourself where like you can be like really at peace. You're not looking at social media, do something like exercise or something that kind of you know, gets you out of like the craziness a little bit. Um, definitely something that I've been very focused on because I, I understand that like in music and, and it's very true, like mental health is like a very um, you know, prevalent subject for everyone. And uh, so for me personally, like I just realized like, yeah, I just need to be aware of that and just don't get too wrapped up in, uh, in whatever and, and be like always aware of how I'm feeling. So yeah. that, that's like more on a serious note. Yeah. Other challenges, obviously, is just like, you know, always just kind of coming up with new ideas. What do I want to do next? Mm -hmm. What am I feeling? Um, yeah. yeah, but, you know, th those things kind of just come with the territory and just just take it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, we definitely have some cool things coming up uh, pretty soon um, before we run out of time. <laughs> I just like let you know. Sure. We, we have... Um, we have Coachella coming up this weekend, mm -hmm. which is going to be really cool. We're doing a Brian's Lemonade All-Star set in the Heineken house. And uh, we're going to be doing that both weekends, so that should be cool. I'm um, going to be like our resident DJs and a bunch of homies coming through. So if anyone's there, Coachella this weekend, definitely check that out. Um, and then after weekend one and after weekend two, on consecutive Wednesdays, we're going to be doing uh, these big like LA parties around the time of Coachella. And that's going to be at Union, so we're uh, really putting like a lot of effort into that. And the only reason why I plug that is because that's coming up soon, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, you definitely have to come because you never come out to shows. And, uh, Exposed. <laughs> and uh, obviously, like, we just want our fans to know, too, like, we're really excited uh, about these shows. We're going to be doing two rooms, um, and there's going to be like a lot of cool like surprises. It's going to be a little different than our bread and butter Union shows, which we're known for. So. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely gonna be something to look forward to. See, I'm always like wrapped up in like this week, so like, that's what's coming up. <laughs> Last question: What do you want to be remembered for? Oh man, yeah, that's always, that's always. Hard. <laughs> I just, I mean, I always want to be remembered for doing it the right way, you know, and mm -hmm. um, and just making sure that I, uh, I guess that I always kind of operated the same way and never really changed who I was by whether it was extremely successful or, you know, I was a complete failure. You know, I just at least that I was always um, pretty even.
because the thing is, is that, you know, when, when I was like, when we started throwing parties, like I remember days, like, you know, you're going to have like plenty of these nights where like 50 people would show up throughout the whole day. And we, I thought there was going to be like a couple hundred. Mm -hmm. And I remember like that feeling of like failure <laughs> or like, just like low, like, mm -hmm. like it didn't turn out the way you want it to. And it's like, it's a terrible feeling when you throw events and I always feel bad. Cause then you're like, oh man, I gotta be here for five hours. <laughs> like, I just don't want anyone to look at me. And, but I would just like always try to own up to it. And I yeah. go up to everyone and I would just be like, hey guys, thanks so much for coming. Uh, I think more people are coming soon. Uh, yeah. uh, but yo, uh, let me get your drink. And you know, and like, I was just always so like, I cared so much about people's enjoyment, you know, and all my, all of the people I throw parties with feel the same way. And now when there's like 500 people coming to a party or something, a thousand people, like every single person's opinion matters just the same. Yeah. So if someone didn't have a good time out of the thousand, I mean, that's something that affects me. Like it makes me feel like, okay, how do we like make sure that that doesn't happen again? Or how do we make that person's next, uh, you know, experience enjoyable? So you can't get too caught up in that, but definitely I always want to be like even throughout and just make sure that you know, I wasn't a certain way back then, and now I'm like a different way. This, <laughs> yeah. But, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm, I'm surprised. Like you know, we should have just gone into some of these spots, like that pawn shop over there, <laughs> California Donuts right here. Oh yeah. We'll do that off camera. <laughs> yeah. oh, my God.